Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's not tuned, I'm afraid. Oh, never mind. Den här podcasten presenteras av Sonos. Let's say it together. Hello, this is Michael Stipe. One, two, go. Hello, you're supposed to say it with me. This is Michael Stipe. This is you're supposed to say. It this me. is Michael Stipe. No, we're going to say it in tandem. Like, okay. Hello, this is Michael Stipe. Hello, this is... No, no. <laughs> That's going to be so weird. <laughs> of course it is. We're trying to make fun uh, podcasts for people. All right. Hello, this is Michael Stipe. I'm in the apartment of Frederick Strauch. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. The thing is, when, sometimes when I go abroad and I yeah. go to a hotel in, in New York, yeah. they'll, they'll always say, so, Mr. Strange, how long will you be staying for Mr. Strange, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's like, it's like strange without the end. So we're here having coffee and cookies those are gingerbread cookies yes they are and they're supposed to make you kind kind and yes oh. you know they, they say in sweden if you, if you eat a lot of gingerbread cookies for christmas you become very gentle and kind well ginger is supposed to warm you right it's a warming uh food i think so so maybe that's why um well the, directly behind you are several polaroids several i'm counting How many? Three times two, four, six, eight, ten, thirty Polaroids by Terry Richardson, which you've framed very nicely. They're mostly self-portraits, and they're they're quite stunning. He's a really good artist. He had a show in the Lower East Side in New York. Uh, was about his family, and so it was a portraits of his mother and father on the wall. Um, and I think he had a very troubling or potentially troubling upbringing. And um, on the floor of this very small gallery, he had scattered the photographs of his childhood, the originals. It was a very strange, very bizarre gesture for someone who I think, you know, has, he's been through a lot. Uh, he's been through fire, but I think he went through fire with his, with his, with his upbringing. So here, here are these portraits of his mother and father who are both probably very uh, complex characters and look like they've been through a lot. And he's clearly been through a lot. And then in order to see them, you have to walk on the actual images of his childhood, not copies. It was really intense. And it rained that day. So it was very messy. But I thought um, as a gesture, it's brutal, completely brutal and quite beautiful. It reminded me of um, the film Buffalo 66 by... Vincent Gallo. Vincent Gallo, thank you. Who... um, Who once threatened to kill me, actually. Really? Yeah. Yes. I'm not surprised. He um, apparently, uh, um, uh, not Brazil 66, Buffalo 66 is based on partly on his uh, his own biography. And he um, went at one point to ask for photographs of himself as a young man. And his parents, between the ages of like one 
and 15 could only come up with one picture of him. It's kind of sad. But let's not be sad. Um, well, we have A by Andy Warhol and Aldous Huxley, The Doors of Perception. In front of us, I pulled them off your shelf. Behind me is a picture of Björk as a young girl. I would guess she's about three years old and she's playing a flute. Yes, it was taken on a plane going from London to Reykjavik in the early 70s by this uh, Swedish photographer who um, noticed this young girl who was walking around on, on the flight uh, playing a flute. And then she just saved the picture for many years until... Um, and then she sees Björk on MTV and she recognizes her as wow. the girl in that wow. old picture, wow. like 25 years later. She really is such a creature, Björk. I'm really so happy that she's in, uh, in our lives. So yeah, I brought um, I brought some songs that we should listen to, and the first one I think is um, "Candy Says" by the Velvet Underground. Oh, let's listen to it. been um probably well i paid attention to them, to them for the first time in 1975 so they were already i think gone as a band but um uh i i i was uh, brought into music through cbgb and the punk rock scene in new york and um specifically patty smith and the band television and in rock scene magazine and the village voice and cream magazine any, any, anyone that would cover that scene and interview those people, they all referenced um, the Velvet Underground as one of the bands that were hugely inspiring and influential to them. And so I went to a hardware store in my small town, and I went to the cutout section uh, where they kept eight-track uh, tapes, and I found um, two Velvet Underground eight-track tapes for 99 cents each under sheets of plastic because they were put at the back of the building where the roof was leaking so you had to crawl under the plastic to get to the merchandise um, and I also found um, the first New York Dolls record there and I found um, uh, Raw Power by Iggy and the Stooges all bands that the CBGB punk bands were referencing so I bought all those and listened to them as a 15 year old so which Phil Underground album did you start with I think it was live it's the one with the um, it's live uh, live 1969 I didn't start with uh, their first album because I, I it just wasn't there so it's the one it's the one with the, the painting or the the photograph of the subway yeah there's a I'm confusing a, a Lou Reed record with a Velvet Underground record it's um it's a um uh, it's a drawing it's a kind of cartoonish drawing of a subway and I think it's a live album from you clearly love music um, you clearly love the 1960s and um, we've already spoken about your love of the Velvet Underground and Warhol's Factory and you love books and I see books um, uh, a lot are in Swedish a lot are uh, in English a lot are fashion and art and actually really good literature and you love Candy Darling who I recognized in your living room over the um, what do you call the crib for the child I met your child in the hallway as, as I was coming in he was leaving 
you know, the, the crib kind of looks like one of those cages where you do MMA fighting. Yeah, exactly. Without, I, without um, you know, the chains and stuff and the metal. It's it's soft. So yeah, yeah. I don't put my baby in, in a cage, but it, uh, it looks like it a bit. It, it is, but it is for your baby. It is. Yeah. So it is a cage of, of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who's an M- M- MMA fighter. Really? Yeah, and he's been hanging out with that guy with all the tattoos, the guy from Ireland. What's his name? The one that everyone knows and loves. He's really tough looking. He's like a scrapper. Anyway, they've been hanging out in New York together. I think I think they um my friend's name is Dylan. I think Dylan and that that scrapper guy from Ireland. Maybe he's Scottish. He might be Scottish. He looks really tough. He looks like a like classic Hollywood like tough guy from Scotland or Ireland. You haven't tried MMA fighting yourself, have you? No, I'm not much of a fighter. I mean, I am a fighter, but I'm not really like fisticuffs, you know, punch someone in the face kind of fighter. Speaking of Candid Darling, I, I went to see your exhibition and the, the two art pieces that you've exhibited here, yeah. here in Stockholm. Yeah. And you, yeah. you made a movie where you, you sing R.E.M.'s last single, We All Go Back to Where We Belong, to John Giorno, who was once, um, he's a performance artist, and he was once um, Andy Warhol's closest friend. Well, they were lovers. For, they were lovers, yeah. Yes. And yeah. He, he, um, he's also the subject of the movie Sleep, Sleep like, yeah. right, where he sleeps for five yeah. hours. And now in, in your movie, he listens to you singing. Yeah. And he looks very, very... Um, a different version of Sleep. <laughs> well, he looks happy. <laughs> this voice. He is happy. He's a really happy guy. He's, he's one of the most complex and beautiful minds um, of anyone that I've met. And at the same time, very simple. His, his joy is unfettered like a child he's really this extraordinary character uh and so again to have him in my life it's pretty pretty very special another um you know the show is about mentors and and i think they the the curator rick heron chose that piece uh because of the kind of mentorship of john giorno to myself and the idea of kind of passing um knowledge or epiphany or or um Uh, example um, from generation to generation. Um, one of the other um, mentors in my life that Rick and I spoke about a great deal was my my friend Jeremy Ayers, who was great friends with Candy Darling. Uh, Jeremy was in Warhol's factory uh, in the early 70s for a couple of years, going to school in New York, but spending all the rest of his time um, hanging out at the factory. And he was he was close to Candy, and to Hollywood Lawn, and to Andy. One of my friends, she owns even more coffee table books about mm-hmm. the factory era okay. than I do. And she she said at some point, "How come this never gets old? Why 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 are we still so fascinated by those few years?" What do you think? What's your take on it? I suppose it's some kind of mix of like total decadence and hard work. You know, because Warhol was all about working, right? Yeah, That's yeah. what he did. Yeah. There, there's a great Lou Reed song that he did on, you know, the songs for a Drill album yeah. called Work, I think, yeah. where, where he sings that, he, he tells Andy that I, I wrote five songs today. And Andy says, well, you should have written 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, maybe that's the, the secret of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I have so many books about it. And I'm yeah. uh, still, you know, if, if there's a book about, no matter how obscure yeah. the Warhol celebrity is, you know, I'll buy the book. It was a very... Um They were very documented. That's that's one. I mean, looking at it in a rearview mirror and from a 21st century perspective, um, they were they were very documented. People were taking photographs all the time, and everyone looked really good. They were super stylish, as you said. Um, it was a bit decadent. Uh, it was very decadent. Uh, it was very over the top. But everyone kind of um, presented themselves as cartoon characters. So. They're people that you can kind of project onto them this tragedy and this comedy, um, and they just seem so chic. You know, most of the pictures are black and white, or I think we think of them as being in black and white. But I think of the the photographers that were there and the bodies of work that they left behind, um, images of all those people, and um, everyone just looks so cool. It's like you just wanted to be a part of it, you know. I sometimes wonder if I would be as fascinated by it if I had actually lived through that era and seen it by myself or if you need some kind of distance if you need to be younger to be able to you know feel the way I do about the factory that was definitely an extraordinary period and an extraordinary um, place to be during that period Um, 
But I, I suspect that parts of our lives are as exciting or as potentially extraordinary. We just maybe don't recognize it so much. Because, you know, I'll meet people who were, who were born in the late 90s who will tell me, oh, God, you, you were in Stockholm in the, the early 90s when, mm. you know, the cardigans mm. started playing and when, mm. um, you know, the alternative rock era in Stockholm. Mm. And mm. they'll feel that way about, yeah. you know, it's some kind of instant nostalgic reaction. Yeah. The cardigans were very good. I'm a that bitch. I'm a that bitch. I'm a that bitch. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a that bitch. I'm a that bitch. I'm a that bitch. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a read that bitch. Yeah, I brought, I also brought this song out of New York, a guy named Zebra Cats, with his song I'm a read. I'm a read that bitch. I'm a school that bitch. I'm gonna take that bitch to college. I'm gonna give that bitch some knowledge. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read that bitch. I'm that bitch. School's in, I'm gonna read that bitch. I'm gonna write a dissertation to excuse my shit when I act out of line and I spit and I kick and I rip and I dip and I yard trick. Wow, this is actually one of my favorite tracks of this decade. My, my wife used to work for a fashion magazine and she was in Paris for Fashion Week in 2012 at the Rick Owens show and all the models walked onto the catwalk to this music with flames shooting up in the background and she texted me and said like you're gonna love this song this is the best song you're ever gonna hear and I fell in love with it instantly and then I went to see Zebra Cats perform here in Stockholm and he was um, you know, it was funny how he managed to change like traditional hip-hop expressions you know giving them some sort of gay sensibility mm-hmm. so instead of going what's up motherfuckers he said well how are you darling motherfuckers doing tonight beautiful he, he was very sweet and he was dancing he was voguing because you know that reading is this um, like a this technique within you know the vo- voguing or ballroom culture the library is open you know if, if, you, if you read someone you um, you diss them. You um, yeah. You say the library is open. The library is open. I haven't heard that that expression. Yeah. It's from RuPaul's Drag Race, but it came, oh. it comes from it comes from deep uh, drag culture, and it's okay. now been it's now been kind of mainstreamed by RuPaul. But you would say the library is open, and that, <laughs> and that means it's time to read. I'm gonna start saying that. Okay, <laughs> it's a little late in the day for it, but it's okay. Have you have you tried voguing? No, um, no. Maybe. I remember that you were a pretty good dancer on stage. I'm a really good dancer, uh, on and off stage. But but no, I'm um, voguing is um, not really um, something that I was very good at. <laughs> I do like watching it um, when people are good, and I like watching it when people are really terrible. So, but Zebra Cats, my God, that guy. Um, I met him and Nina. What, what's the name of the singer for uh, for that song? Nina something. Red Fox? Nina Fox. Nina, Nina Red Fox? Or? Yeah, yeah, which is a reference to an American comedian named Red Fox. But um, I met them at the apartment of um, Jason Sellards, who is um, Jake Spears from Scissor Sisters. So Jake had them, had a party, and presented me to Zebra Cats and Nina Red Fox and I was like you are the best thing to come out of New York in 10 years I'm so inspired and so thrilled to meet you and they were both the sweetest people Um, I really I I brought this song because I'd like to encourage uh, from from a Stockholm um, perspective I'd like to encourage them to make more music they they haven't done a whole lot since this I think his group uh, was, called, was called Boyfriend for a while or he was working with some people and they called themselves Zebra Cats and Boyfriend with a song called Sissy so that's also pretty good I also checked your um, your second uh, object at the exhibition you, you've made bronze cassette replicas yeah of old music cassettes yeah that's quite fascinating because most people would find, you know, old cassettes as completely disposable and you turn them into eternal objects that'll be there forever. That was kind of the idea. Um, and lo- the other, uh, the, it, that's a piece that's about 10 years old, um, the cassettes, the replicas. I also made replicas of um, several Polaroid cameras and they were all cameras that I used as a young man. But it's kind of the type of thing that you might find on your shelf 
the camera that belonged to your grandfather or to your father or, or someone in your life that you've held on to even though it's broken or, or um, it, it's not working, it's not a working, functioning machine anymore. And I kind of like the idea that we imbue these machines with this kind of power. Uh, it's really just uh, an object that provides us with content or with uh, images in the case of a camera and music and sound in the case of a cassette. But we we apply um, um, importance or, 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 or gravity onto these objects and they, we become nostalgic or sentimental about them. So in a way, I'm, I'm addressing my own sentimentality. And so do, do you save I threw, do I threw you, away the originals. You did? <laughs> they, <laughs> well, okay. they were destroyed in the process of creating the mold in which to make the bronze piece. So the originals were destroyed, but they were not precious to me. I was going to ask you if you celebrate Cassette Store Day, you know, the yearly holiday to spread music tape awareness. Or, like, you know, it's, it's like, like a, Record Store Day. It's so, like Record yeah. Store Day, but it's way more obscure. Yes, it is. And it's, it's for people it. who actually put out their music now on, on cassettes. I see. Yeah, I've only met two of those people recently in my life, and um, it was pretty obscure. That's pretty obscure. My, 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 um, my, I have one car in my life, and it only takes cassettes. Um, but the speakers are blown, so I never use it. Still, there's something about you know, mixtapes that's quite beautiful. There's a book by the music journalist Rob Sheffield called mm -hmm. Rob, Love is a Mixtape, mm -hmm. where he you know, discusses the mixtapes that he's done through his life and yeah. how, how it's such a, a perfect act of, of love to give someone a mixtape. Yeah. I received a mixtape recently. You must know Hal Wilner, the producer. He gave me an iPod with, I think it's got about 2,400 songs on it. Um, that's the last mixtape that I received as an act of love. And before that, Peter Buck gave me an iPod filled with, I think, 8,000 songs. But the, the last actual cassette that someone gave to you? No, it's, it's, it's a more updated version of a mixtape, so it's digital. Have you seen Tarantino's uh, Death Proof? There's a scene where a no. bunch of girls are sitting in a diner, and one of them tells the others that the boy she's in love with uh, has slept with someone else on her birthday. Mm. And they ask her, so did he know that it was your birthday? And she says, mm. well, he gave me a present and he ate from my birthday a cake. So yes, I think he knew that. And they, they ask her, so what did he give you? And she says, a tape. And they mm. all go, oh God, a tape. That's so romantic. <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful gesture. <laughs> what year is that based in? I wonder. I think it's mostly based on Quentin Tarantino's idea of how, how women should be. Mm. Oh yes, we could. Uh, he he we loves could the idea of women who just cherish old music formats. We could talk about that for an hour, or not talk about that for an hour. <laughs> but yeah, Tarantino has his own set of rules. I brought, um, here's, this is a great new song from D'Altward, it's called Banana Brain. That's from the new The Antwort album. That's right. The, the quite insane South African rappers. Yeah, they're beautiful. I find myself so fascinated by them because I don't really understand what, they're, what they mean or what they want to do or what they... There's a huge mystery surrounding them. Really? Well, yeah, I, I think so. Have you seen the video for this track? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, where, where they kind of reenact, um, you know, the... They, they, re, they, they reference how Oscar Pistorius, the South African sprint runner shot his girlfriend in the bathroom. Ah, where, where that's it, what that was about. Okay. Yeah, because Ninja is standing outside the bathroom, um, yeah. pulling his gun and threatening to shoot 
um, Yolande who's inside the bathroom. Yeah, okay. So, which is a completely tasteless, you know, That's thing really, to reference. That's really tasteless. Yeah, um, but still quite fascinating. Yeah, I'm. I, I mean, to me, they're they they seem like an open book a little bit. It's they they put their own kind of spin, 21st century spin on something like the Archies or the Monkeys. They they they're cartoon characters, but um, but it's not all light and, and fluffy. It's very it's very cartoonish, and at the same time, it's just extremely dark. And they worked with Harmony Corinne, um, um, and 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 so I think they're pulling from all of these diff- different reference points. I see behind me, you have. Um, um, a, a volume of, of uh, it's a collection of songs by the Cramps. I would say that Dion Twitter may be in a kind of somewhat updated South African version of the Cramps. It's the same sensibility. I think one reason that I love them is that they, they're huge South Park fans. Yeah. Which I am. Myself. Yeah, I heard that. Life's weird, it keeps testing me The other girl in the world ain't pressing me Like you do, you rule, do fresh to me You just wanna be giving you the best of me Everything is meant to be, you were sent to me You and me got wild destiny You're like a little angel and never pressure me Everything you do so except to me I love it that you best friends of me I just wanna treat your heart carefully Cause every day I feel blessed to be The one chilling with you right next to me Who took this photograph of Candy and Darling? It's not an original, I just printed it from, from the internet So I'm, I'm okay. sure who took it But it's on a bus, I think It's on a bus? Candy Darling on a bus Yeah She's obviously posing. She looks beautiful. My friend Stephen played her in a movie, and it was a really big move for him. Stephen Dorff? Stephen Dorff, yeah. Yeah. He called me um, throughout the shooting of that film. He was really concerned about what it, what, what it would be for him to play Candy. And um, I said I thought it was a very bold move and something he's, he identifies as straight something for a straight actor who's coming out of Hollywood uh, to, to take on a role like that during that time period was very, very cool. And so I think he got a lot cooler because of it. And he did an amazing job. In my Blakeian year I was so disposed Toward a mission yet uh, Well, Patty Smith is in Stockholm right now. This is my Blakey in year. Marching breathed into my ear. Mouthed the simple ode. One road is paved in gold. One road is just a road. did you fall in love with Patti Smith? Because you're a huge fan. Um, I fell in love with her as a, as a, as a musician um, and as a cultural hero, I guess, as an icon uh, in 1975 when, when I bought her, her first record and listened to it and decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life, was make music. Do you still get starstruck when you see her? No. no we're, we're, we're more like friends now. We've known each other now since 1995. So we're very good friends, and I know her, her son and her daughter, and you know she's family. Pretty good family. <laughs> I've had this doomsday feeling in my chest ever since Donald Trump won the election. Yeah. I remember waking up the next morning and so many of my friends had posted you know, YouTube links to 
uh, your song, it's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. And none of them felt fine. No. And then yeah. I realized that he had actually used that song during his campaign. It was actually used by the Tea Party. Uh, the Tea Party uh, for, movement. For, for a, um, a rally that he attended. So it wasn't specifically the Trump campaign that used it, if, if you want to be factual oh, okay. about it. You, yeah. you, you weren't too happy with it. I think you said, no, on, I, I, I quote, Go fuck yourselves, the lot of you, you sad, attention-grabbing, power-hungry little men. Yeah, I, I'd had a... I was a bit upset, <laughs> as one would be. Well, and, most and here musicians we, aren't too happy about. Here we find ourselves in December of 2016, facing God knows what. I mean, you think it's terrifying from Stockholm. Try being a New Yorker. We've had to live with Donald Trump for decades, and everyone in New York kind of knows what he's made of. But he represented hip hop to me. That's how I found out about him because Vibe magazine would would write these you know articles about him, and he was on all so many hip hop records in the late nineties. They all had a you know short phone message from Donald Trump to show that they were successful. I think Method Man and Prass from the Fugees both uh, asked him to leave them um, phone messages on on their answering machines, and he did. And he did, and he, you know, he was hanging out with that crowd. Mm-hmm. He, he was best friends with uh, Russell Simmons, who well, founded a, Def Jam. That says a lot. And people considered him cool. He was different. I think it, Vibe magazine, some journalist there wrote that, because, uh, you know, so, someone said that Bill Clinton was the first black president, because he was, you know, different. He was cool in, in, in a new way. And then they said that perhaps... I think Bill, Clinton, Trump I think Bill, is, Bill Clinton's is, campaign said that he was the f- yeah. first black president. And the whole thing is a little tawdry. So anyway, the theory in Vibe magazine was that Donald Trump was the first African-American billionaire. Okay. I'm and that s- idea I'm, seems completely absurd now, of course, but it's, that's the way people felt back then. Yeah, well... And that, that was before, you know, his, uh, The Apprentice and <laughs> the, the TV things he did. But how, how, how have you felt this year? I'm just so offended by this conversation. I mean, I think it's part of the problem with Donald Trump is that people seem very fascinated by him and he's a really good um, media star. And so the fourth estate in the U.S., certainly um, cable news media have elevated. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Basically a, a real estate magnet who became an entertainer to a position of power and he got clicks and people liked talking about him and liked hearing about his outrageous comments. And suddenly we wake up and he's the president of the United States. Um, I think media um, really created this monster and created the, I'm not referring to him as a monster, but this phenomenon that we find ourselves in a reality TV star is, is now going to hold perhaps the most powerful political position in the world. And what are the ramifications of that? And what does it say about us as a society or as a culture? And you start to feel that, well, you know, 
Schwarzenegger wasn't so bad as governor of California. That yes, he was. He was a terrible governor. Well, compared to this, we're not. Why are we? Why are we even talking about it? That's my. I'm, okay. No perhaps offense. We, no perhaps, offense. But perhaps let, we should stop. Let's talk about Candy Darling. That's much more interesting. <laughs> much more interesting. I am a man. I am self-aware. I have a few songs here that I'd like to play on my Sonos speaker. Uh, here's an artist that you, you've worked with a lot, who's from your hometown, Athens, Georgia. To this day I swear it was nice, but clearly I was not ready. Oh, that was Vic. That's beautiful. Vic Chestnut. Yeah. Beautiful man. I, I interviewed him once in the mid-90s when he came to Stockholm. Oh, great. He, he was, of course, in a wheelchair because he was paralyzed from, from the neck or from the, like, the chest down in a car accident. He was in a car accident when he was 18, yeah. And we were taking pictures of him at uh, the studio in Stockholm. There's a photographer called Hans Jeda who has taken a lot of mm-hmm. you know, great portraits. Mm-hmm. And we... The elevator was broken, mm-hmm. so I had to carry Vic up the stairs. Mm-hmm. And he, he was quite light, but I yeah. remember carrying him, him upstairs, and he was—he seemed quite sad, but he was really smiling in the picture. He looked so happy there. I mean, if you know, I, I think it would have made me sad if I had to be carried upstairs. But um, but uh, yeah, he was—he was light. He didn't weigh a whole lot. He was actually able to stand, um, but he was really wobbly when he did stand up. I saw him stand twice. Um, what a great songwriter. What a great mind. Oh, death, you hector me. Decimate those dear to me. And tease me with your sweet relief. You are cruel and you are constant. My mom was cancer sick She fought but then succumbed to it But you made her beg for it Lord Jesus, please, I'm ready Did you meet Warhol? Yeah, yeah he told me I was cute, and he took my phone number. Oh, that's sweet. I know it was sweet. I was very kind of flattered. Did he take your picture? Our picture was taken together by a photographer named Todd Eberly, most mostly well known for. Um, Todd was called to the Marfa, to Marfa, Texas, to the desert by Donald Judd, to document um, his uh, his work in Marfa um, long before he became this really legendary conceptual minimalist artist a famous artist he was an artist but he no one knew that he had done this thing and so he called Todd out to the desert to photograph his buildings and his work and it became Todd's first um, book and then Todd went on to become quite famous and work for Vanity Fair and um, and now he travels the world and takes pictures of really actually fascinating people he's, he's a great portraitist after years after Andy died, um, Todd was called to the Warhol um, um, Museum in Pittsburgh and asked if he could open up some of the boxes of stuff that Andy had stored in as time capsules. So Andy kept everything. And Todd opened up all these boxes and t- took pictures of the contents of these boxes, including... Um, the clothes that he was wearing when he went into the hospital. Uh, were blood on them? Or? No, he wasn't bleeding. He went in for a, a simple operation. Okay, oh, it wasn't after it, the, like, the shooting, went, no. No, no, when he died. Um, the contents of his pockets when, uh, when, he, when he died. And they're beautiful images. But Anyway, so Todd took the photograph of me and Andy together. It's pretty beautiful. I'm kind of out. Uh, I... My, I your photographer and I were speaking earlier about how I always look so sad in photographs. It's just the way my face 
looks. It's I'm not a sad person, but you look sad even if you're happy. Or- I'm I'm really happy most of the time, um, but um, but I I just look sad. Anyway, um, I'm kind of out flattening Warhol in the picture of the two of us together. He looks a little astonished, and I look really flat and Warhol-like. So it's kind of a beautiful picture. I think I was 26 when it was taken. Now, Michael, here's a song by someone that you used to be pen pals with. There's gonna be some trouble. Morrissey. Oh, boy. He's a... He's still with us. That's good. I thought I said Madonna. <laughs> I was pen pals with Madonna. In the house will recline on an analyst couch quite soon. Your father cracks a joke and in the usual way empties the room. Tell to danger, wind up nowhere Patrick Doonan raised to wait, I'm tired again, I tried again and now my heart is full now my heart is full and I just can't explain so I won't even At one point in your career, a lot of people talked about you as the American Morrissey that you know R.E.M. was the American Smiths and vice versa but did you feel any connection to him? He was a really nice guy he's, he's very eccentric even in person he's you know when you're one on one with him he's kind of always searching for something funny to say I think he's an odd fellow but um, he's such a talented lyricist and the thing that Morrissey's great at he was a great performer I saw them perform the Smiths perform and then I saw him perform as a solo artist long after but um, he's great with titles he's maybe in, in our lifetime the best titleist of songs um, as a pen pal he would send things you know out of the blue often kind of um, they're always funny often a little flirty because I think that's just kind of part of how he communicates with people um, but I haven't seen him in a great long time I like him very much I tried to get him to kiss me once um, in the early 90s. There was a bunch of uh, photographers around. It was a reception in New York, and we were standing with Fred Schneider and Ricky Lee Jones, I think. And it's the picture that if you if you do a search online, you see the two of us arm in arm and both smiling. And um, I had just said, just kiss me. It'll be so good. Just give me a kiss. Come on. And he wouldn't do it. But anyway, a man can dream. This is my favorite Morrissey song, Now My Heart Is Full, partly because he, he sings about how he doesn't have many friends, just just some rain-coated lovers, puny brothers, whatever that means. But, but then he lists Dallow, Spicer, Pinky, Cubit, the gangsters from Graham Greene's book Brighton Rock, as if his best friends are characters in a book. And it's such a beautiful way to describe your love for literature. I think that Morrissey once said, there's more to life than books you know, but not much more. He's very funny. I'm sure he worked on that for a while before he said it, <laughs> before he said it out loud. He said that in a song or in an interview? In an interview. Yeah, there you go. But his, his interview, I'm sorry, hysterical. Mm. You know, you can just... Yeah. No, I actually, I was a fan of his interviews before I started listening to the music. Mm-hmm. And have you met him? No, mm-hmm. I've just seen him live mm-hmm. quite many times. Yeah. Morris is so funny on stage, you know, the things he'll say between songs. Yeah, he's naturally funny.
Do you feel happier now than you did 20 years ago? I feel happier now than I did 12 minutes ago because, because <laughs> of your excellent cup of coffee. So thank you very much for that. Now, I was thinking about how, you know, in the early 90s, like the, the best rock stars seemed quite reluctant to be rock stars. There were many rock bands who didn't really like the weight of fame and success. Yeah, I mean, I, that came out of punk rock. That's just a part of the, I think, trying trying to keep it about music and, and not about being famous or not about being a pop star. But my band managed somehow to do both. And and then um, we kind of passed that on to a few other people. Yeah, because, you know, if you look at a band like Sonic Youth, they, they weren't really, you know, meant for playing in arenas or Nirvana for that matter. You know, they... Nirvana were a great arena band, I thought. Did you ever see them perform live? Uh, yes, once. But yeah, they, I mean, um, the power was really in the chord progression and the music. That you know, the but they never really seemed to like it. You know, well, that was. I mean, they would have grown out of that if Kurt had lived, but he didn't. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was really just about an attitude and about keeping things real and not allowing oneself to become, you know, kind of a a cartoon. Yeah, in, in a way, that's partly why I listen to a lot of hip-hop then. Because rappers seemed really happy about being in the limelight. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they kind of enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Or at least they, they pretended they were enjoying it. I'm not sure if they... Some of them. So who are your favorite rappers? Uh, well, back then, I'm, I'm thinking mostly of, like, you know, Tupac or, mm -hmm. or Biggie Smalls mm -hmm. or the Wu-Tang Clan. Mm -hmm. You know, they, when, when they made it, when they became famous, they were super happy and they were like showing their, their wealth and really what about tribe called quest or latin alliance do you like latin alliance i've never heard them actually no. yeah they're from la they're pretty great i interviewed the tribe called quest once mm -hmm. and i made a fool of myself because i i asked five dog he, he was sitting with one of those you know um, muslim um, prayer um things that you you know with beads on them like, yeah like worry beads yes yeah. uh and just you know counting how yeah, many yeah, yeah. prayers he had done yeah and i asked him if whether that could help him rap better which was apparently a huge insult sounds like a pretty innocent question to well, me. well I, i thought so too but they, they became quite upset so mm. didn't turn out that well mm. but I, i was more of a wu-tang guy what, what about you have you listened to a lot of hip-hop i'm glad i left my worry beads at the hotel <laughs> Um, no, I don't listen to a lot of music, to tell you the truth. I mean, there's some stuff that I really like a lot. I, I love Tribe Called Quest, and I, I, I mentioned Latin Alliance. They're kind of, have, I think, been forgotten, but they, they were pretty great, and they represented more of a Latino, um, kind of Latino hip-hop um, out of the West Coast, which, which has its own style. Well, I was a huge Cypress Hill fan, of course. Yeah. It was more... Yeah, I quit smoking weed when I was 17 years old, so a lot of stuff like that just didn't really have much appeal for me. If I walk down this hallway tonight, it's too quiet, so I head through the dark and call you on the phone. Push your old numbers. And I'd like to play you one of the most haunting songs of the 90s where you actually sing in the background let him walk down your hallway it's not this quiet slide down your receiver sprint across the wire follow my number slide into my head ah okay Kristen Hirsch Your Ghost, yeah. from her first solo album that I came out was, in 1993. Yeah. She was in a band called The Throwing Muses. That's right. Then she went solo. Yeah. And she did a lot of songs about, um, you know, death. Men men mental mental problems and death. And it's, yeah. It's quite a depressing album. Yeah. You seem really death obsessed. So you, you brought up a lot well, of I'm, dead I was people. a bit of a goth in my teens. There so you go. Maybe okay. Maybe that kind of sticks to me. I wouldn't have gotten that from your haircut now, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all clear. I should have seen the signs. Okay. Yeah, she's really amazing songwriter. The 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 song on that record to really look for is not the one that I sing on, but a song called The Letter Tongue. Oh, Teeth. It's called Teeth. Teeth. Okay. I think it's the third track on that record. Teeth is the song to to listen to. The lyrics are superb. 
I once interviewed her, and she she told me about when she was growing up as a kid on this uh, hippie commune, and the the adults were taking so much acid and seeing so many beautiful colors that she thought that her eyesight was you know somehow damaged. You don't mind if I have a gingerbread cookie while oh, we please talk? Please do eat Thank gingerbread you. cookies. No, she 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 felt that she thought that she had um, like problems with her eyesight that she needed glasses cause because she, she wasn't she wasn't seeing spectacular colors everywhere. Wow, wow. I never heard that before, <laughs> but it, knowing her for as long as I've known her, it makes perfect sense. You were last night. You were driving circles around me. You were last night. What's your taste in music, you know, changed since the band split up? Do I don't really listen to music. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that. It's um, something that I just stopped doing in the kind of mid-80s. And so when I hear something, it's usually because my boyfriend or, or a close friend says, you really need to hear this, this is great, or you're going to really like this. And I'll listen to stuff like whether it's um, Arca or, um, you know, Perfume Genius I'm thinking of, um, or the new Anani record, or... I saw PJ Harvey perform um, this past year, and I've followed her for decades. You know, I, I like music. I just don't really listen. I find myself really surrounded by silence most of the time. It makes it much easier for me to, to think. Music is very distracting for me. Most music, um, I do. I do like having something ambient playing uh, in the background, or kind of very heavy dub. Uh, I despise reggae. Um, I like pop music when I hear it on the radio, like Sia has done you, some really great songs. You, you despise reggae, but you like dub reggae, like instrumental reggae? Well, dub, heavy dub to me isn't reggae. It's, uh, it's slowed down t- and just distorted to such a, to such a, um, to such a degree that it doesn't have that same kind of l- loping, um. So how come you don't like reggae? Is it- I don't know. Why don't you like the color blue? I don't know. I just don't like reggae and I don't like I don't like bluegrass. They're, I, I find them both kind of irritating. Um, they they agitate me. Bluegrass music. Yeah. Here's a song that you recently covered. Well, yes, that was not easy, covering Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World on national TV. That was um, a hard choice, and it wasn't my choice, in fact. Uh, I would have never chosen that song to cover, but it's one of my favorite, probably, I would say, one of my top 20 favorite songs of all time. I remember seeing the the cover for that album, The Man Who Sold the World, where where Bowie's on this sofa with a, a, like a skirt, or like a man dress. And he was at his most androgynous when he took that picture for the sleeve. It was not a very attractive skirt. We let's just admit it. But he did look very chic. Well, he always did. You know, he could, he could wear anything. Yeah, I would disagree with that. But he, but he did look very chic in that picture. And men didn't wear dresses then. But it was kind of a like peasant skirt. It wasn't very, wasn't a very good skirt. I think his skirts got a lot better around ashes to ashes. Which, which you covered at the I same also covered, tribute yeah, concert. Another, another one of my favorite songs, but n- absolutely not easy to cover. I, I, I chose that song. I, I agreed to do um, that um, benefit concert, is what it was, uh, before Bowie died. And then he passed away, and it became much more of a memorial. 
Um, at which point I was out at my local bar um, and Ashes to Ashes came on and I was singing along and thinking, well, I probably need to learn the words before I go to New York and, and do this in front of a bunch of people at Carnegie Hall. And I realized it was out of my range. I wasn't able to really sing in that key. So we had to pitch it down for me to be able to sing it. Did Bowie in any way influence you to like experiment with feminine fashion? Like you've worn a skirt from time um, to time? No, it was more Captain Sensible. I was more kind of inspired by that than, than by Bowie. You know, the idea of wearing makeup and, and wearing women's clothes on stage. Or I used to put short pants on on top of my long pants. And that really upset frat boys. Like they couldn't stand. I would come on stage with a pair of long pants and then a pair of like plaid short pants over them. And I would leave the zipper open. And they just couldn't stand. They would just <laughs> scream at me the whole time. It was, you know, it was a little irritating. I, but I was young, so it doesn't matter. once went to Atlanta for something called Freaknik, which is like, um, you know, a funky, huge traffic jam where African-American college students from all across the states go to Atlanta and they sit in their cars and listen to music. And then they all get stuck in traffic and they, you know, play music and they walk outside the cars and they dance. And this was in the mid 90s when, um, you know, like the hip hop scene in Atlanta just took off. It was, was it fun? It was immensely fun. I had a great time. So you went from goth to hip-hop or the other way around? Well, you know, I was into like gothic hip-hop. Have you heard um, Grave Diggers, for instance? Or, no. um, you know, like dark, like necro, like dark hip-hop with uh, lyrics about serial no. killers. Now you're sounding very Swedish, I'm the, sorry the, to the, say. The, 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 <laughs> the ghetto boys, have you heard of them? From Houston? Mm, yes, of course. You know, that's a good example of... Uh, what's the name of that genre? Horrorcore? Yes, horrorcore. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's... Like, gothic hip-hop. Yeah, that's not really where I butter my bread, but that's all right. Since you're a true southerner, I have to play you some southern rap. This is one of my favorite rappers, and you have a few things in common. He's from Atlanta, or he's from Georgia. He supports Bernie Sanders, and his name is Michael. Ah, Killer Mike. Well, are, are you friends with him, or do you? We've know never him? met. No, You've but I'm, met. I'm such a fan. I loved, um, I loved seeing him and, and uh, Bernie Sanders uh, in conversation. It was so unexpected. I think a lot of people looked at this guy and thought he's kind of a dumb rapper from the South, and he's so smart and so knowledgeable and really on point about so many um, issues that are um, facing the American people. Um, I, guess, too, I guess if you pick a name like Killer Mike, people will look upon you. Too bad, uh, too bad that Sanders didn't make it uh, through the DNC process, but there it is. Did you ever go to Atlanta to you know check out the hip hop scene? I, I stopped going to Atlanta long before hip hop was a cultural phenomenon, so it would have been the kind of early '80s. So why did you stop going to Atlanta? When? Or why? Why? Because I started going to New York instead. I was born in Atlanta, so I don't have to love the city. They got a good airport. Morrissey once said that he would rather eat his own testicles than reform the Smiths. Ew. Which, which is, you know, like I said, which is saying something for a vegetarian. Uh, how do you feel about uh, an REM reunion? Do you feel the same way? Uh... I'm pretty much on public record about that. 
What a horrible thing to say. He said it like that? How did he say it? What is the exact his, quote? The exact words were, um, I'd rather eat my own testicles than reforming the Smiths, yeah, I, which I, is saying something for a vegetarian. I would just put that in the kind of like, along with the Donald Trump conversation. <laughs> I don't, how, how long have you grown your beard? It's about a year. Um, it's about a year, I think. Two years, maybe. It's epic. Yeah, it's really a good beard. Thank you. And what about you? Because you don't have a nose ring. It looks like, like I do have horns. a nose ring, it, but there's no. Um, there's no ring. There's no ring. Yeah, no, it's a retainer. It kind of looks like horns on on a bull. Yeah, it's it's a retainer, which, which is uh, it's for people who have normal jobs and like a surgeon or um, or a CEO or some other captain of industry who can't show at work that they have a piercing in their nose. So you flip it up inside, and then you pull it down. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm impressed because you. you look more punk than you've ever done before because you have a safety pin as well attached to your jacket. Uh, well, that's that's a little bit of a gesture towards tolerance that started in London and has now very recently spread to the U.S. after the American election. Oh, I haven't seen that. So the, the safety pin is supposed to symbolize solidarity or something? Yeah, solidarity with people who might be um, ostracized or... or, or or um, might be called out right now for being Muslim or being, it's just a, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a way of saying, I'm, I'm, I stand with you, whoever you is. What's on your Christmas wish list? Um, I don't, well, I don't really, my family doesn't really exchange Christmas gifts uh, much anymore. We, we, um, we tend to make donations in, uh, to, to really great causes uh, in each other's names. And then, I'm not sure if you were serious about this, but at some point you said that... You I'm rem- quite you- serious. I think you probably got that already. Yeah, quite, quite, <laughs> quite much. But, but I, at some point you said that you remembered every single Christmas gift that you ever got. No, I don't think I said that. I probably, someone cornered me and I just splurted something out. Um, I don't remember every Christmas gift I've ever gotten. Or um, how, how many do you remember? I received uh, when I was seven years old and lived in Germany. Um, my dog who was a boxer, gave me a Christmas gift. And I remember that. You, was, got, a, you got a dog for Christmas? No, I, no, the dog gave me a gift. The dog gave you a gift? Yeah, and I, I, my little seven-year-old brain couldn't quite wrap my head around how the dog was able to give me a pair of Widewell corduroy um, hip-hugger pants. But he did. It was 1967. What a sweet thing to do. Yeah, it had a wide belt. What a great dog. I felt very, I felt very cool. Not chic because the term didn't exist in my in my language at that point. But um, but I did feel um, I did feel very cool with my wide well corduroy hip huggers. <laughs> oh no, I would just say thank you, Frederick, for inviting me into your home, and you have a fascinating collection of things here. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I'm off to lunch. Well, I hope you have a great lunch. Thank you for dropping by, Michael. Thanks for the coffee. That's great. It starts with an earth. Birds and snakes and aeroplane Lenny Bruce is not afraid I have a hurricane Listen to yourself Churn world serves its own needs Dummy serve your own needs Beat it up and knock speed Grunt no strength The ladder starts to clatter With fear fight down high Wire in a fire Representing seven games In a government for hire In a combat site Left to us and coming In a hurry with the fury Speeding down your neck Team my team reporters Battle Trump Tether crop Look at that Hemåstraget produceras av Leon Media i samarbete med Sonos. Producent var Daniel Bäckström och Michael Stipe var Hemåstraget. Slice and burn, return, listen to yourself, churn Locking in uniform and book, burning blood Letting every motive escalate, automotive centerate Light a candle, light a motor, step down, step down Watching heel crush, crush, uh-oh This means no fear, cavalier, renegade, steer clear A tournament, a tournament, a tournament of lies Offer me solutions, offer me alternatives and I decline It's the end of the world as we know it It's the end of the world
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.